Zach, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and a good afternoon to everyone watching the Masters, because this may be the only day that you get good weather at the Masters. Yeah, well, it looks like a bad weekend upcoming in Augusta. Yeah, I, mean, I think weather is certainly affecting everything there. Uh, Scott Stallings, two under, birdied 18, friend of the show, joined us on Monday to set up the course. I just sent him a text and asked him about how the course played for him, and I love his answer. One word, pure. Two under, and that puts him where he needs to be to make a push to make the cut as round two will get underway for him tomorrow. The leader at Augusta National currently is Victor Hovland. He is seven under, followed by Xander Shoffley, who's made a, a run up the board. He's at five under. Same for Adam Scott and Scott Lowry, John Rahm, and Brooks Kepka among those at the top of the board. Kepka came out firing with this. And of course, he's the one of the live golfers that factors in and will be among those that are among the favorites from the live tour to make a run for Sunday. Given his, I don't know his contract situation with Live Tour, but you had those reports a, a month or two ago Oof. that he was waffling a bit on my game starting to come back a little bit. The buyer's remorse, immediate regret that he wants to be back in on the PGA Tour constantly. If he contends all weekend here, even if he doesn't win, I wonder if that gives him another push to want to get back competing full time on the PGA Tour because. We saw it on Full Swing, the Netflix documentary. That self-doubt was creeping in over the course of that documentary that because of his injuries, because of his game, he just lacked confidence. And he got out while the getting was good and took the payday, took the check, and now he's with Live Tour. But if he gets back to competing at this level, we've seen today from Brooks Kepka. I wonder if he's going to feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, the, the signing bonus, though. You're getting over $100 million per report. And I don't know. You, it's not like you can give that back. Or walk out on it. I don't know. There's no details on what the contract with Live Tour reads. entails. So I don't know if it's even a possibility for him to leave Live Tour and, and go back. But I do think he is a guy. I don't think this. He's a guy driven by winning majors. And he talks about it. He's got he gets the killer instinct. So, I, uh, But making a mark on the PGA Tour. I think, uh, you know, overall is, is a part of this. There, there are well, reports but, that he wanted to go back. Yeah, but so he wanted to get his head right. Because that was about the the show, right? Was how just in mentally how it was difficult for him to get over a hurdle. Yeah, I think he's got like one more year where he can play in all the majors. But you do have a PGA scoring system to get you going into the majors. Also, I know there's a past champion clause also with some right. of them, and he's one. But it's not it's not until eternity you can play in it every year if you don't participate in any other PGA events. But he does have a little bit of time. I think it's two to three years where he can continue playing in all four majors but, uh, but for the can, time being. I mean, for the rest of his life, he can play in Augusta. Yeah. And he's won others as well. And, I mean, the, surely, I mean, it's not easy to just get out of the whatever signing bonus, you know, you've, you've signed up for. Um, and, and that leads into to Harold Varner III, who just went uh, rogue uh, with all the details uh, to uh, the Washington Post. He's signed up for the live tour, but initially turned it down. They came back with another offer sometime later, and he took it. After taking advice from those he trusted behind the scenes around the first offer, he considered the money that was to be made and how much he could earn to set up generational wealth for his family. And he admitted, he's like, everybody that's talking about on the live tour, they're doing it to uh, push the game forward and advance uh, the game is is lying. And he 
was explicit with the language as well. But he said, everyone's doing it for the money, and that's exactly what I did. The reports for him were $15 million to sign up uh, and, and just get the bonus to, to go and play. And when you have Harold Varner III getting that type of money, and by the way, he, he shouted over to whoever was saying that and said, it's, it's higher, it's more. Said smiled and that. said more. Yeah, and, and I believe him here. I also, I also look at this and think, well, while you took the money, and I, everyone there is doing it for the money, they also increased money for those on the PGA Tour by doing this. Specifically, Phil Mickelson, who jumped into the mix first, and then everybody had the offer to follow suit. Some did, some didn't. And yes, they did it for the money. But those on tour are also getting paid more in these purses, event to event, not even with the, the majors. The majors, separate and apart from what I'm discussing, the purses involved here have grown from the PGA to the players based on what they could leave for and some incentive to stick around and, you know, a bonus, a bump for being loyal to the PGA Tour. The Live Tour only gets a bump this week by having someone put on the green jacket. But I feel like, Chad, this, the storyline of Live versus PGA, while it's fun to think about on the 18th, fair, uh, the, the 18th tee going into the fairway on Sunday and maybe we get that, the creation of the drama behind the scenes, the vast majority of the players will tell you there's not drama behind the scenes with this anymore. We have Scott Stallings that. Yeah, Scott Stallings is adamant that no one cares. No one, no one talks about it anymore. Harold Varner saying, you know, you're basically a jealous hater if you've got a problem with it, that someone took a lot of money to go play golf somewhere else. Initially, while, while, yeah, yeah, yeah why so the players hated it. I, I, you know, if it's the Travelers Championship or it's the RBC Open and you want to create dialogue over the course of that tournament that maybe not every top PGA player is playing in about Live Tour and does that spike interest in that event? Maybe, maybe not. I just look at the Masters and think this is one that from a ratings perspective and interest doesn't even need the controversy. We've been talking about Angel Reese versus Caitlin Clark because that's a controversy that's actually ignited interest in women's basketball to the tune of all-time great ratings on television. And it was really Caitlin Clark. It was Caitlin Clark. The drama and then the, after the, the game. drama after the game, though, has kept it in the national conversation for going on a week now, which normally wouldn't happen. That game would be played. National shows like ours wouldn't say a word about well, it. But, but, but I mean, there is the, the effort, I feel like, to keep a storyline going. Uh, in a, norm, a number of different ways. For instance, uh, Tiger Woods, who's on 18. We're about to give the update on his first round at, at Augusta. Um, when he was playing the Genesis Invitational, which, by the way, he shot, what, 69 on that Thursday, and then 67 in round three. But he tied for 45th. Uh, tied for 45th. But the storyline was him handing a tampon to Justin Thomas and whether or not that was controversial and was it an apology, was it not an apology. That was the storyline of the Genesis Invitational more so than anything else that took place that weekend. And I feel I, the, the feeling going into this week was, oh, the, Liv is going to play. This is the first major, and we're going to see the players out there, and they're going to have to mix and match, and they're going to have to get along. Well, they've been getting along for the most part, except for one or two guys going back and forth in the media. And I think the creation of this battle is very much more drama-driven for clickbait than it is true life behind the scenes at Augusta National, personally. And 
yes, if, it, if the storyline plays out that way, absolutely, it's a headline and it's massive. But I feel like these, th there is this uh, want to lean into it simply for the fact that it's Liv versus PGA when really those there, you have six former champions who are always going to be there. And by and large, everyone there is there to participate in the Masters and Augusta National. Now, Harold Vonner would say, you know, I, I'm participating because I'm there for the purse. It's a $15 million purse. That's fine. There are players in every sport that don't love the sport they're playing. I mean, they're, they're great examples of that. Jarrell Casey is a great example of a solid player on the defensive line in the National Football League that doesn't like football. But he played because he was good at it, and he got paid well to do it. Varner's in that boat, and he took the bait on whatever Saudi was offering for the live tour, just like the other players have done and other players will do moving forward. And then the next piece of the pie is, okay, if guys want to come back to the PGA, how do they do it? I think the PGA comes back a little bit on their stance to them. And there's a meet, uh, there is a meeting in the middle of what they can and can't do with certain events on tour. But the majors, by and large, the guys we see this week are going to be playing the majors for the rest of their career. I think the whole rivalry is mostly overblown between the players on PGA and Live now. I think it's blown over for the most part. And controversy, I was making the point about women's basketball because I do think it's helped the sport overall because it's continued in large part because of what Angel Reese has said after the fact has kept it in the news. But this is a controversy-free, controversy-proof event. I'd say with most anything, it helps a little bit of controversy. The Masters, I just don't think need, you don't need it. This is a week that's about that tournament. It's about the scenery. It's about the golf. And it's so rare now that you have events that are so big that you could have some big thing to throw in there and create interest or create conflict that's going to help almost everything else. I don't think it matters with the Masters. I think if you're into the Masters, which a lot of the sporting public in America is into this tournament, you're watching the Masters for the Masters. This is one week that is about golf. I would put even Tiger in that boat. When he's in contention, he's gonna, it's going to raise all ships in the ocean if Tiger's around on Sunday. But the Masters may be one of the few Tiger-proof events that you're watching on Sunday of the Masters yes. because it's Sunday at the Masters, and the rest of the PGA Tour is going to have to figure out what they're going to do post-Tiger because he is such a draw from a television perspective for that sport. But this is an event that it doesn't matter. And I, I like that about it. I, I like that they can just say, we're not going to add anything to this by putting the most outspoken with you know Rory McIlroy versus Dustin Johnson right. or Brooks Kepka versus Jordan Spieth or whatever it is. They don't even have to go down that, that alley because they know people are watching the Masters for the Masters. And I like the purity of that. Yeah, I and mean, I wish it was still Kepka and DeChambeau, personally. I love it when those guys yeah. were going back and forth. And look, if the golf gods want to smile on us this weekend, it doesn't look like they're going to smile on us with good weather. But if they want to smile on us, maybe we get a very juicy matchup on Sunday. And it does become a little bit more of a story, even if it's not between two players who hate each other. It's just an interesting byline in what's going to be a heavily watched Sunday at the Masters because it's Sunday at the Masters and not because of who's in contention. Tiger is uh, one over as he is on 18. And his caddy, uh, Joe LaCava, gave a, an update on his health, where he says he's 
He's banged up. And the reference point we have is what he did at the Genesis Invitational, where we referenced the two good rounds. But the caddy, Joe LaCava, uh, via the, the New York Post, he's pretty banged up. If it wasn't Augusta, he probably wouldn't be playing. He still has the power, the swing speed, the shots, and the length to contend. The, injuries, the injury is devastating. But if he could take a cart, he would contend tomorrow. It's the walk. And as you're watching him uh, today, I think back to watching him at the Genesis Invitational where you start to see the wear and tear quickly on him uh, by the end of the round on that Friday that we were watching where he, he putted right into the bunker, right? And then how he yeah. has to climb out of it. And then the following day, he shoots 67 and is in contention. He's in the window of contention going into Sunday. That's what I'm hoping happens here. And it, it, Tiger is the aura of Augusta National where he's won five of his 15 majors. And I love watching him on the course each and every year. It's, it's to the point now where even 2019 when he won the Masters, every tournament you went into, this is pre-car accident. I, I think it, w- it was always a hopeful, maybe he gets it back together. Can he win another major? If Tiger's in contention on Saturday and Sunday, it's going to bring in so many more eyeballs and people paying attention. To now when Tiger, because of the, the car accident, mm-hmm. I, I'm honestly just thinking, can he make the cut? That's the win. Can he get to the weekend? He's not going to be in contention. But can he get to the weekend? Great. That's the way I look at Tiger Woods in every tournament. Yeah. That's not to say that I'm completely discounting that he's going to rise up and win one more at some point. The guy shocked the world in 2019 when he won the Masters, given everything that had happened. So... Maybe it happens again, but I don't go into any tournament getting excited about the prospects of Tiger Woods being in contention on Sunday. My internet's out, so I don't know if he's finished 18 or not. I know he's plus one over uh, past 17. Sam Bennett earlier today, he's the 2022 U.S. Amateur uh, champion. He birdied and eagled the first two holes. That is a great start for a U.S. Amateur. Is he only two through, or is he? Is no, that's he, how okay. he started. Okay. I, again, I can't check my leaderboard uh, right I'm, now, so I'm going to rely on, on text. I'm on the leaderboard now, so I'll, I'll try Seamus to find. Power, uh, back-to-back holes in one uh, yesterday at the par three. Masters debut for him was last year, and he has two other starts on the PGA Tour. So young guys with amazing moments at Augusta National to begin. And I can't, I can't imagine with the nerves for a U.S. amateur champ uh, qualifying based on that win, and then you're able to go and birdie and eagle the first two holes on your it's first awesome. round. Tiger Woods plus two, and so he's two over for the for the round. Yes. Okay. We'll keep it updated throughout yeah. the show. Uh, and but maybe my internet now is not working either. So yeah. that, that may have been an old score. But uh, he's plus two at some point. Trey Wallace. I, I can confirm us. that he's been plus two at some point today. It's all good. Yeah, yeah so we will give full leaderboard updates uh, momentarily. Trey Wallace joins us when we return with the updates on spring practices across the Southeastern Conference on Hot Mike. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Pleased to be joined by Trey Wallace on Hot Mike from Outkick.com. Covers the SEC and more. Trey, good to see you, man. Hey, guys. Hope y'all are uh, doing well on this opening day of the Masters. No doubt. Uh, yeah, the, the weather uh, where we are, rainy, going to be that way in Augusta, too. So Chad's not going to get the inkling to jump outside and mow the lawn just yet, but... 
No, so, but I, I still got to put some mulch down on Saturday. I'll be doing so in some frigid conditions, much like they'll be playing golf in British Open-like <laughs> conditions on Saturday in Augusta. So we'll be one and the same, uh, except I won't be making as much money when I put mulch down. Don't worry. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's 80 degrees one day here in Knoxville. It'll be 50 degrees probably on Saturday, but I'll be in y'all's neck of the woods this weekend, so maybe I'll get a little bit of that cool weather. There you go. Trey, what have we learned as uh, you've gone through the, the spring practices that are ongoing through the SEC, uh, specifically at quarterback? You've got the piece at outkick.com with the returners. Um, what do you learn versus what do you feel like is placating guys so they don't leave and enter the portal? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's going to be a new era. It's going to be different, Jonathan. I mean, we we look around the the conference and, you know, we're so used to seeing guys like Bryce Young, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson for a little bit, Stetson Bennett for so many years at Georgia. And, and, and now that you look at the conference, you know, there's it's kind of a, a, a new look when it comes to even familiar faces. And that's K.J. Jefferson. That's Jaden Daniels, uh, Will Rogers, Spencer Rattler. Um, Joe Milton is kind of like the reemergence of Joe Milton after he got the start, you know, two years ago. Uh, now he's back in that saddle again. He's leading Tennessee. So you look around the conference and, you know, it, it's going to look really different. You know, like what what does a school like Florida do? You know, is it going to be Graham Mertz or is it going to be Jack Miller? Both of those guys right now are trying to battle out in spring practice. Nobody's taking a lead by any circumstance. So that's something that's going to go into the spring. I mean, I'm sorry, the fall. I think when you look at Alabama, you know, it, Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow. You know, we've seen a little bit of Jalen Milrow. Uh, Ty Simpson only threw five passes last season. Um, that's one of those situations where with Ty, I, I honestly think it goes into fall camp and I think it goes into the first game. I could see Tommy Reese, uh, you know, and Nick Saban deciding, okay, look, we're going to open up season against MTSU. Let's see how these guys do. Let's make it a first game tryout. And then we'll decide who our quarterback is just, just because I don't feel like Jonathan Chad, they're going to be switching around quarterbacks during the season. They're not going to play two. They're going to decide on one, but maybe it ends up that they have to go that far to get to that point. And I think with, you know, with Georgia, it's, it's so different. Like when I, when I think of Georgia football, I think, all right, well, Stetson Bennett's going to trot out there and we're going to see some kind of different offense and he's going to do something as the mailman, whatever. It's a different era, man. We got Carson Beck, Brock Vandergrift that are battling two quarterbacks that I feel like uh, better than Stetson Bennett in a sense, athletically. Uh, and I think Georgia is going to be just fine when it comes to whoever they decide is going to lead that team. Cause you look at the players around them. You got lad McConkey and you got Brock Bowers back. Like Georgia's offense is not going to really fall off next season. So I think, you know, I think the bigger question is, you know, what happens in Tuscaloosa? And then my biggest one to me is, can K.J. Jefferson be that quarterback at Arkansas that can lead them to maybe nine wins next season? Because I know what Jaden Daniels can do. Tiger Woods in the clubhouse now, two over for the day. Uh, lucky for Tiger, Ooh. he did get to play with the current leader, Victor Hovland and his group, also done for the day, seven under par. Now only one stroke ahead of John Rahm at six under, as Rom plays the 18th hole right now. Trey, I want to ask about a couple of quarterback changeovers that we know who the quarterback's going to be. No quarterback yeah. battle right now, 
but two quarterbacks that are taking over for guys who will likely be drafted in the first round uh, of the NFL draft. Let's start up in Lexington with Devin Leary coming over for NC State. Is that bigger or maybe less than from an impact standpoint of Liam Cohen coming back to Kentucky to lead that offense when you look at that pairing? I think it's more so when you have Liam Cohen back. I think when you got Devin Leary, a guy who can sling the football around, I think that's going to be one of the biggest additions, in my opinion, to the conference. You know, in in, in a lot of ways, Devin Leary is going to be able to do some things for Kentucky that Will Levis couldn't. Um, and, and maybe it's because of the offense that was ran last year and not the previous year under Liam Cohen. I think folks, you know, if you don't remember, Liam Cohen was the offensive coordinator two years ago for Kentucky. He left, went to the NFL. Now he's back, uh, as the OC and you bring in somebody like Devin Leary from NC state who has that knack, man, he, he can, he can sling it down the field. He's a quarterback can get outside the pocket hit a guy 40, 50 yards on the run. He has a lot of valuable intangibles to his football game. And I, I think that benefits Kentucky. Now, look, in, in my honest opinion, Kentucky missed the mark last year when it comes to vying, you know, for an SEC East title. Uh, do I think they do that this year? I, no, because of I, I just don't know what they have at running back without Chris Rodriguez. Uh, you look at some of the wide receivers, look at defensive back. But what Kentucky can do on offense with Devin Leary, you know, is open things up a little bit more, you know, be a little bit more fast paced. And I think that's what you see out of Liam Cohen. So I'm very, look, I'm interested in in that one because that was one of those high profile transfers that, that Kentucky ended up landing. So good for them. I know folks in Florida would have loved Devin Leary, but he decided to go play for Cohen and uh, the Wildcats. So Mel Kuyper is claiming that one thing that's hurting Hendon Hooker right now is how Joe Milton came in and carved up Clemson in the bowl game. And that just shows that whoever you put at quarterback is going to put up big numbers and going to carve up defenses in Josh Heupel's system, proving that Hendon Hooker is a, a system quarterback. To which I say from the college football end of this, Trey, uh, Tennessee fans should be awfully excited if they can just expect the same production out of the quarterback position as they did a year ago. No problem, no questions asked, because apparently Josh Heupel's system is just that good. What What do you think is more reality of now Joe Milton 2.0 getting his second chance to be the guy in Knoxville under Josh Heupel? First of all, Hendon Hooker. Uh, has been killing it in his NFL interviews, and he has been, you know, carving up other quarterbacks when it comes to his defensive looks, how he how he can look at the offense and what the defense is going to do. Like the offense at Tennessee has nothing to do with what Hendon Hooker is going to do at the next level. Joe Milton, it's interesting, man. Like this is a quarterback who has now been around and been in the system for two years under Hendon Hooker learning from him ever since he lost the starting job. It has been nonstop. How can I get better under Josh Heupel? I look at him overall and I think, look, I mean, look, if we can get, you know, if, if, if we see out of Joe Milton, what he did against Vanderbilt, what he did against Clemson uh, can come out, you know, the, the good part about it for him, I think is that he worked with a lot of wide receivers that are now going to be starters at Tennessee last year on that on that second string. Look at the game that he had, you know, with Squirrel White, you know, in the Orange Bowl. I think overall, 
it has been very beneficial for him to sit behind the scenes, watching and kind of waiting, but learning what this offense really entails. And, and that is, you know, you're getting to the line of scrimmage. You're running a play every 13 seconds. Uh, you're, you're having to find the check down, see what the defense is going to do. And, and you know what? Also get a call from Josh Heupel within that amount of time. And I, and I think that, you know, it, it's going to be big for him because he knows the offense so well that he can maybe call a lot of this at the line of scrimmage. So I, I look at Joe Milton. And I definitely see positives out of this. I don't think it's the same. I I talked to some people that were at the scrimmage earlier today, uh, the scrimmage last Saturday. Doesn't feel like the same Joe Milton who's overthrowing passes and, you know, sailing them outside of the stadium and putting too much heat on them. This is a quarterback that's calmed down now. And he he feels and he's confident that he can run this system. So I I do. I, I think that benefits Josh Heupel in Tennessee especially with that murderer's row of a schedule next season. Trey Wallace with us from outkick.com talking SEC headlines. Uh, let's, let's head down to the Plains in, in Auburn. And with Hugh Freeze and the, the pitch that he made, it's one that we've heard but not specifically from an SEC coach about scrimmaging another opponent in state rather than holding the spring game. Everyone's on board with this from, a, from an idea standpoint, logistically, can it work? And if so, why aren't they doing it? You know, I, I think it can work. I, I think that you can, you know, if it, it, I think if you got UAB on a bus and said, okay, let, 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 let's go down, you know, 65, switch on over right there, get on down to Montgomery, then the Auburn area, and let's play football, I think they would do it. I think logistics-wise, it works fine for in-state opponents. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think it would work if they went out of the state and tried to get somebody. There's a lot more difficulties to it. Um, but, but, you know, being able to go up against somebody like Hugh Freeze, like there is parameters around this. Like we're not making our quarterbacks live action figures that they're going to go out there and they're going to take massive hits. You know, you have to be able to prepare yourself that look, neither team wants to go out there and hurt the other players, you know, and, and you want to set this up. Spring football has lost its luster. Okay. Now you can sit at home. You can watch it on an app or you can watch it on television and you don't have to waste the money to go travel to the the, the stadium to go watch the event. You know, really right now, spring football is about, you know, what can, can I tailgate in the spring? Can I hang out with some buddies that I see in the fall? Let's do that. Okay. We'll watch the first half and we'll leave. You know, it just, you know, Auburn's playing this weekend in their in their A game. I think overall the way that we look at it and the way that we look at spring football, there there are ways to spruce things up. And you wouldn't hear these coaches talking about this if they didn't honestly feel the same way that they need some kind of change. And I give credit to Troy's coach, John Sumrall, who came out and said, Well, wait a minute, how about this? How about we go the NFL route? You know how the NFL does joint practices and they're able to go up against each other and they're able to have somebody different that they're tackling or going up against on the offensive line where you can really test that opponent. Like maybe something like that works as well, where you open it up for a couple of days for fans to be able to come watch something like that. There's different avenues that we can go down to make spring football more interesting uh, when it comes from a fan's perspective, but it's also about these coaches, guys. They want changes, too, because they know by that ninth practice, they're tired of hitting each other. 
You know, it, it gets old. And I think Hugh Freeze makes a really good point. Let's let's figure this thing out. Let's be able to play a game. Proceeds go to charity. Um, you know, we can, you know, you can you can bring in UAB, your Troy fans to the stadium, and you can pack them out too and have a damn good time putting on a spring game. But as we sit here right now, you know what's going to happen on Saturday. About 50,000 Auburn fans are going to show up at Jordan Hare Stadium. They're going to be over with it by halftime. They're going to be headed back home. And it's just going to kind of be of a waste of a day when it comes to on field and what you're seeing because so many players are going to be out with injuries and, you know, not wanting to risk anything as well. Well, I think I think all of, all of those points are for real that you're bringing up. I think the main issue is – it's lost its luster because they cut the media out of practices. There's no drama yes. being built up. Nobody really knows yes. about quarterback battles other than what the coaches are saying and what they observe during you know stretching and individual drills for the first 15 minutes of practice. So if you want the luster back on, you need the shine back, and you want the fans to actually give a damn, open up the practices yeah, and allow the media members to debate. To care. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. That is the biggest thing that I have looked at college football over the years. And, and, and what they do is they give them a little taste. Okay. The first spring practice of the season. Okay. We'll open it up for the media and you guys can hang around the whole time. Yeah. But the rest of the practices, no, you can't, you can't be around. We don't want to give around trade secrets. You know, I, I think it's big. Open it up. Let these guys come in. Let beat reporters get in there. Let me come down to a Georgia practice and watch the whole damn thing and mm -hmm. not have to worry about leaving after two periods of stretching where I know what I'm talking about when it comes to, you know, battles going on, maybe not at the quarterback position, but you can bring fan excitement. I think that's the biggest thing too. Like, you know, we gotten down to the days, Jonathan, where everybody's trying to break down a stupid two minute clip of yeah. a scrimmage to right. figure out who's the one that threw the ball, like do better when it comes to allowing us to do our job to promote the sport that you're trying to sell a bunch of tickets to. It just, sometimes it doesn't make sense. So Hugh Freeze talking about charity and money going to charity. That, that sounds great. Okay. But yeah. I've got an idea, Trey, that I would love okay. to have you write about at Outkick and contact okay. some collectives on this. What if a school came out and said, we're going to charge $10 per seat, first come, first serve, and all the money is going to go to our collective. And everything that you spend is going to go right back to the players. In this roster, I know by NCAA rules, it is illegal right now. I know all those things, but change is coming when it comes to all this. So instead of charity, what if the big boy school said, we're going to give a lot of this money in this spring game with this jamboree we're going to have against another team. And it's going to go right back into player investment and recruiting and retaining our roster. I think that would up ticket sales. If that's what fans knew they were paying for when they went and knew that it would go right back to the players and helping their team win. I'll throw one right back at you then. How about you set up these collectives, set up little flag football games or something, you know, around these these universities, around these college towns to be able to come out and actually watch the players that are going to be participating next year. You know, you sign some autographs afterwards, you be done with it, but it's, a, you know, at least a little bit competitive. I get it where you're coming from when you're talking about, you know, getting a university on board. I, I think it's going to have to entail NIL being involved from a university standpoint for something like that to happen. But my biggest thing too would be, you know, have more events that are going to raise money for these collectives and let them do it. Meaning, okay, 
let the the Auburn collective have a big signing right after the spring game, but you got to pay five bucks, get all the autographs you want, you know, or, 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 or Tennessee does it, you know, in a G10 parking lot on top of the G10 parking lot, you have a big autograph signing, or you have some kind of interaction that's going to raise money because what we're getting down to is boosters are starting to hold off. Chad boosters like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to put all this money in right now. Like there's some years I might put in, you know, maybe 3 million. Some years I'm not going to put in that much at all. So you're going to see a, a collective that, that that goes up and down when it comes to contribution. So who do they have to rely on? The fans. And you know what? If you get the fans more involved, if you show them how you can help, it's only going to benefit the school in the long run. So, you know, it's all about these darn schools, Chad wanting their money for season tickets on the other side, you've got, okay, we need to pay players as well. So they got to figure out a middle ground when it comes to NIL. Trey, there is a, uh, a hearing scheduled with the NCAA infractions committee for former coaches at the university of Tennessee. You know, the story. Well, what can you add to it? Uh, that I am excited to see what goes down in Cincinnati. I'm going to try to play some bugs throughout the uh, the conference room and see if that goes off. No, but this is, I'm actually writing about this. It'll come out tomorrow. This is this is going to be a knockdown, drag out battle. Um, just, just picture, okay? You're going to have Jeremy Pruitt in the room with his lawyer. You're going to have Tennessee officials in the room with their lawyers. That's Dondi Plowman. That's probably Randy Boyd, their legal counsel. And then you're going to have the NCAA sitting across the table from them so all of them are going to present their cases and then they're going to sit there and argue with each other. And then imagine Jeremy Pruitt, you know, saying, well, I object to that. And then you got Donnie Plowman sitting here having to give, you know, her side of the story and what went down. Like this is going to be very fascinating for me. Another thing, Tennessee didn't want to get to this spot. The reason why we're at this spot is because Tennessee tried to self-impose some recruiting restrictions and penalties on themselves and they thought the NCAA was going along with it the whole time. Guess what? The Committee on Infractions does not agree with the penalties. So that's why they're having to go in front of this committee, because the Committee of Infractions wants more punishment for Tennessee. Bowl ban technically is on the table. I don't think that happens. If it does, Tennessee will sue the NCAA and drag that thing out in court. But what I'm getting at here is Tennessee, the NCAA's Committee of Infractions doesn't feel like Tennessee has kind of lived up to their side of it when it comes to reductions in scholarships and whatnot. And Jeremy Pruitt's over here. He's coming in, you know, guns a blazing. This guy is going to come in here and try to say, okay, well, Tennessee knew what was going on at the time. Philip Fulmer knew that this was going on. He was complicit in it. Uh, Tennessee's not all squeaky clean as you think they are. So Jeremy Pruitt's going to come out and just try to go scorched earth knowing he's got nothing to lose. This guy's looking at a long-term show cause penalty. So what can he do? He's pissed off. He didn't get his buyout money. He ain't going to get his buyout money. So why not take, take, take Tennessee down in the process of trying to help himself out? It's going to be fascinating and uh, I, I can't wait to get to Cincinnati. I'm just going to drive up there and just wait and see them all show up. Trey Wallace, paparazzi up in Cincy. Uh, you can read his work at outkick.com and the very latest on this story and so much more, including 
the Trey Wallace podcast, which is available right now at outkick.com. What do you have this week, Trey? Yeah, guys, we had Brayden Gall on. Love Brayden Gall. Uh, we really broke down, talked to, to put a cap on the the whole Caitlin Clark versus Angel Reese thing. Talked a lot about the, uh, the, the upcoming college football season next year, the schedule changes that are going to happen a uh, little bit. It got a little heated in our conversation okay. about what was happening in women's basketball, but had a great time and uh, appreciate Braden coming on. Some big guests lined up over the next couple of weeks and look forward to uh, continuing to hop on with you guys. Enjoy some Skyline Chili while you're up yeah, in Cincy, Trey. Get you every <laughs> yeah, time. There we go, boys. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Trey Wallace there at Trey Wallace underscore on socials where you can find him. And again, his work at outkick.com. Really great. Chad, when we come back, Cam Newton said something that I think you and I will both be surprised at. I, I know I was. And he's admitting he's going to play a certain role for only certain quarterbacks, including one I didn't know was a starter. That's next on Hot Mike. Coming up, a Masters leaderboard update for you. Plus, in about 30 minutes, Armando Salguero on all things National Football League. Chad, we uh, we said a couple of weeks ago, Cam Newton coming into a locker room would not be great for said locker room because he was going to have to be the backup. And Cam doesn't want to be the backup. But on his podcast, he, Until did, now. he did say he would be a backup in the NFL. He opened it by saying there are not 32 quarterbacks better than he is right now. But the narrative was, oh, Cam's not willing to be a backup. He clarifies, I would be a backup to these quarterbacks. And he starts naming them. Deshaun Watson. Um, he mentions Sam Howell. Malik Willis is on this list. Justin Fields. Tua Tagovailoa. The three rookies coming in. Plus Aaron Rodgers. Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts. The majority of the younger quarterbacks that he's naming here, including Malik Willis, went to his camp. And that's his connection to them and why he would go and mentor and work with them. When I first saw this, I'm thinking, okay, sure. You know, you're saying this, but you're also wanting to get into a, a place where you can play. And he mentioned Sam Howe in Washington. And one of the rookies is going to Carolina, also thought about that because you've got Ron Rivera in Washington and you have the Carolina Panthers, um, his team, with a rookie quarterback there. Those make sense. But those organizations and head coach know him well. I also don't disagree with the idea that he would be, you know, he would be a good backup option for a young quarterback that he's already worked with in the past and that he's cool with. So I don't think it's a bad idea. But the Malik Willis thing, I mean, the, the only way that happens is during the season. And it's a, man, we, the Titans call a flyer because um, either Tannehill's hurt or the rookie that they're playing is hurt over Malik Willis. Yeah, I saw Malik Willis, and I thought it's weird that he wants to go and, and tutor a backup quarterback who may not even be the backup, may not even be right. on the roster. Right. Uh, that's an odd move to go and, and you know, be the teacher of, of that player. But Cam Newton is a good backup option for someone, for the right team. And the two outliers there, you're right, Malik Willis, Sam Howell of that list, everyone else is a good quarterback in the league, or a top draft pick rookie quarterback. Right. Those guys were at his camp. That's why that, that one makes sense. I also looked at it and thought, well, Sam Howell is the most likely to lose their job of that list. I said, that's pretty, 
pretty low down that you're putting him on because my thinking was, yeah, I'll go there and be the backup and win the starting job quickly if you're Cam Newton is probably what you're thinking. Well, he also I mean, From he, a kid that I coached at Cam. He, he mentioned three first-round quarterbacks, not the four consensus. He didn't mention Will Levis yeah. specifically um, or Hendon Hooker for that matter who continues to get a lot of talk uh, about moving up draft boards and how high he could actually go uh, based on how much teams have liked him this offseason in the visits that he's had most recently with the Packers, but also the Titans. And across the board, there are other teams that have done their due diligence to look into him. Well, and I think if you're looking at a comp, you know, coming out of college, Anthony Richardson and Cam Newton are pretty close. Yeah. So that one makes a ton of sense. I, I don't know that it makes as much sense with C.J. Stroud, given his style of play with Cam Newton or, or Bryce Young, for that matter. Um, there are other quarterbacks, though, that I think, yeah, I mean, f- you could kind of mimic – what the Panthers were doing in the heyday of Cam Newton with this player. And Cam Newton may have some really good insight in how to play that style of offense and could be a big benefit to a team. But Hutton, we've seen Cam Newton come through Nashville before with joint practices, and we know his mentality and how he carries himself. This is not a locker room presence, guy that's going to, the veterans are going to lean on for tutelage and all that. He's not that type of player. He's a star. He's a show. That's it. He walks into a locker room and he wants to be the guy and he's always been the guy. And I'm very skeptical that he's suddenly going to shed that persona and go somewhere and be some trusted advisor to a young quarterback as the backup and be the right-hand man of the offensive coordinator for someone. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Well, the, the role of the backup in, in the typical locker room, you don't want the most vocal guy in the locker room to be the backup quarterback. Uh, for a number of different reasons, but you want the guy that's going to be able to prepare during the week, keep his head down, and be ready to go at a moment's notice to finish a game and then potentially start the following week as the starter. Cam can fit those roles. Um, What they don't want is if there's a quarterback controversy for the backup quarterback to mention, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. My time. And I think that's also part of this is... If you look at the majority, the vast majority of the backup QBs across the NFL, they fit the description more so of a Hendon Hooker-like presence than Cam Newton, who's the star quarterback and wants to be known as the star quarterback. They're clipboard holders that are great teammates and know how to get along with everyone. I would say he is better than the 32nd best starter for sure at this point headlines when we return including lamar jackson and we'll give you a master's leaderboard update